Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Hey, babe. Well, hello. Oh, oh God, stop with the babe. It's so <laughs> politically non-correct. Jeez, okay. oh, uh, oh my God. You. I missed you. We have got, I, I just want to say we've got a packed uh, backstage right now. Packed with legends. Legends, legends, legends. Yeah, legends. The, I mean, but, but I have to say, the whole show today—this is uh, this is Legend Day. Oh, is it Legend Day? Well, I mean, let's talk about it for a second. Some of our favorite people are on today. Who, Chef Claude? I, I'm a, I'm a fan girl of Chef Claude. You see, I'm what? a fan. By the way, I'm a fanboy of Barbara. Yeah. Do you see? I know. Do you see what it says right below my my picture here? Mm-hmm. Aka. Mrs. Spices. Aka Mrs. Spices. Well, because I've been in the spice game since the earliest days of my food career, and Chef Claude is the brand ambassador, and he's like Doctor Spice. I may be Mrs. Spices, but he's Doctor Spice. He is a native of New Orleans, and he understands that bringing flavor. Is like, like you just gotta understand. He fully appreciates and understands that spices are the jazz of American cuisine. Oh, you mean is he is he from here? He plays. Yes, he is. He plays music with spices as the flavor notes. He makes chords of flavor that sing. This is a man I am a huge fan of. And then Barbara Fairchild. I've known Barbara. I've been so fortunate to know Barbara Fairchild so long. Her books are amazing. Her time at Bon Appetit was legend, right? That is a foolproof, irresistible dessert book. And then Fast, Fresh, Easy. I use it Forget all it. the time, and I give it as gifts all the time. If I said there were maybe one or two books, you could say that's the only book you'll ever need. That's one of those books. Let me just say this book looks as appetizing as Elizabeth's Instagram. Yes, that's, that's all I'm saying. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Yes, so and I actually I actually met Barbara through Elizabeth Blau. All roads lead back to Elizabeth. All roads do. So all roads do. Let's let's go let's go right now, and I just want you to come with me to one of the places on the planet that is the most dear to my heart. The city of New Orleans is one of the most extraordinary and historic, flavorful places on the planet. And I was very, very fortunate to be part of the uh, New Orleans Culinary and Cultural Preservation Society. And that was an organization that back in the day put on an event called Tales at the Cocktail. And we all spent time in New Orleans and we got to fall in love with the fact that for hundreds of years, the traditions of Escoffier and the traditions of Antoine Peychaud and 
the legends of the Brennans and oh, Miss Adelaide Brennan leaning over her cocktail with her gold swizzle stick on her necklace and leaning in and the life and vitality of that city and its celebrations and joie de vie in the celebration of food at places like Commander's and Galatoire's. And of course, our beloved friend who passed away, Mrs. Leah Chase. New Orleans isn't like any other place because they understand that food really is one of the capital F fine arts. And like all the other fine arts that are made in abundance in New Orleans, the culinary piece is as important or more important than any other. And joining us now to talk about it from Zatarans and McCormick's, where he's the brand ambassador of food and flavor, is the one and only Chef Claude Davis. Hello, Chef. What a treat and an honor it is to have you with us again. How are you? I'm great. Hello. Thank you for that great intro. Uh, we love our city, New Orleans. That's something that Zatarans has represented since 1889, and we're excited that you're excited about it. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about history and why in this time of turbulence, history matters. Yes. Why does having this legacy, going back to the 19th century, in a city as powerful and potent as New Orleans is, what is most important about that legacy? Why is that history and that flavor philosophy of history so powerful? You know, food is such a huge part of our culture. And for Zatarans to be around for 130 plus years now, to try to bring to the country and to the world all the essence that you described about the city of New Orleans in terms of the flavor, whether it be the Trinity, the celery, onion and bell peppers, whether it's things like jambalaya or dirty rice, red beans and rice. And when you look at now, we have sausage. We had a German heritage. Most people know about the French and the Spanish heritage and all those influences on our culinary history. But, you know, we have something like a Cajun style sausage. And, you know, you talk about the Cajuns who've come in from Canada to bring their own culture here and things like undue sausage. Um, That's the real deal, brother. It's so real that the Wi-Fi stopped at his house. The Wi-Fi is actually taking a bite of the andouille sausage right now. We think the Wi-Fi is enjoying <laughs> the sausage, Claude. So, yeah, but, I mean, it's it's amazing to have such a rich culinary history. And, as you know, you're familiar with our city. Food is something that we offer to you. It's a part of our heart and our soul in this city. And that's something that we try to translate in any products that we have in Zatarans. So, Chef, one of the things I want to talk about is how important spices are at the core of a flavor philosophy in a language of love, because food is a love language in New Orleans. And so you can't talk about food as a love language without talking about flavor. And you can't talk about flavor without talking about the chords of flavor that are distinctively evocative and from New Orleans. And you can't do that without talking about the spices. They, they are just the root of the food love. Can you, can you tie all that together and, and unpack that a bit for us? I don't think anybody could unpack all those words, Jennifer. <laughs> that is a lot of words to ask a man to do. My I'll God. I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll I'm do just, my best. Uh, I'm, just, I'm like the little guy on the shoulder, Claude. That's all I am. I come in, I come in. 
<laughs> Thank you, Michael. Um, I mentioned our Trinity, our Holy Trinity here, which is celery, onions, and bell peppers. That's sort of a base that we use for a lot of dishes that we have. Um, but when you start to talk about Cajun, I also mentioned Cajun. Typically, when you want something to be Cajun, there has to be white pepper, black pepper, red pepper. And one of the things or misconceptions around New Orleans, I believe, is people feel like everything has to be hot and spicy. We're about flavor. Flavor is a huge part of what we deliver. And when you're, you're taking those influences, whether, as I said, the Spanish with the paella, so you have things like a jambalaya, which I actually prepared one with the sausage here for you today, you see those type of influences on the culture um, and our, our culinary culture particularly. But that exact combination, and we've seen growth where there are new the, they call it Novelle New Orleans restaurants that are coming where they're doing blends, whether it's the, the Vietnamese culture in New Orleans, there's fusions, if you will. I know sometimes that's a bad word to use, but there are these mashups between a lot of the cultures that are here and you have a new wave of New Orleans type of uh, dishes. Right. Let's talk a little bit about how that sharing and sort of genetic influence begins to become impactful on the plate and in the pot. When you start with a dish like a paella that has a marvelous sausage note in it, and it becomes Louisiana, New Orleans identified, and it morphs into something like a gumbo, or it morphs into something uh, like, some of those dishes have their authentic roots in a dish that's already familiar from another place, that you, that you can really see it very clearly having that family connection. Can you, um, can you describe how that happens when, you know, when a sausage goes from place to place and it's brought from culture to culture and then brought into the dish? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I like about our culture, you mentioned there, that was a mouthful in, in your question. And when you think about something like gumbo, for example, the African roots of gumbo. And uh, when you think about how that evolved, you know, okra is involved, right? You make a roux. And we have a lot of dishes where you prepare a roux, but something like uh, a gumbo that brings the family together. I can remember growing up here in New Orleans when my mom would make a gumbo. The gumbo was truly a gumbo. It was everything that you could add in from okra to a sausage, whether it's andouille or a smoked sausage, chicken, crab, shrimp, etc. Now, over time, as things evolved, of course, you have allergens that you have to be concerned with. In my family, we didn't have that, but there's a chicken and sausage, or there is a, a, a seafood gumbo where you may have oysters, shrimp, you know, um, crab meat, etc. in there. Um, another dish, like a jambalaya, as we talked about, um, the, it's a big part from our Cajun heritage. And some, there's some debate on whether there's a Creole versus a Cajun jambalaya, right. you know, and that can be debated primarily. The Creoles will use tomatoes in their jambalaya, but at the heart of it is still those set of spices, whether it's the white, red, you know, black pepper, celery, onions, bell pepper, garlic, the, the, the blending of all those different flavors. And again, taking bits and pieces from the different cultures and making it your own. But in terms of sausages, we had a German population here, actually, uh, just across the river from here in one of our suburbs. There was a German town uh, called Gretna. And, uh, 
you know, sausages were developed along with the Cajuns. And you can find wonderful sausages here, um, local sausages. And I'm proud that we currently have a Zatarain sausage in both Cajun and Andouille to bring into the fold to enter that area. And what's so interesting is in talking about those dishes that have those component similarities to them, like the paella that might have a sausage in it and chicken or some shrimp, or now the, the jambalaya or the, the gumbo. But it also harkens back to a cassoulet, again, where you're mixing it all together. Or from my own, I'm, I'm originally from Boston and those traditions of like a, a clam bake where you take the things you have and you, like in a crab boil, where you put it all together. And if you're lucky enough to have a tasty sausage in there as well, you know, that's all part of that flavor. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about, we talked about flavor before mm-hmm. and big flavor, but the thing that's essential to always remember and where I'm going to lean on you a little bit is help me describe how in New Orleans, everything may have big flavor, but it's never out of balance. How balance is an essential component of getting something irresistible. You can't just take hot pepper and throw a little in and think it's good and throw a lot in and think it's better. It doesn't work like that. Help people understand how like color or tone and notes and music, like there is such a thing as too much of a good thing and how important balance is, especially in flavor and especially in the new sausage products. Absolutely. Balance. To, to any item you offer. And as I mentioned before, there is a time and a place if you need something to be hot and spicy, right? Uh, people, Some people enjoy very hot, spicy meals. However, most times with Zatarans particularly, we're trying to prepare a product that could be pretty safe for your entire family. So as you mentioned, I don't want to go too high on cayenne pepper or black pepper. So you have things, whether it's garlic, uh, garlic powder, onion powder, or garlic and onion real pieces or, you know, dried uh, materials you're adding, you need to counter that with something that's a little bit milder. That's, it's at just the right amount. The ratios of your ingredients are extremely important. Um, and, now, when, when you were, and when you were talking about the Trinity, it's not like one part onions, one part celery, and five parts peppers. You talk a little bit about even something as core as a roux or a trinity, you're really still talking about a balance. You're talking about a balance, absolutely. Um, I've seen where some people do 10% um, 10% celery. They might go uh, 40% bell peppers. The rest is onion. It really, you have to tailor it, and that's the beauty of it. It allows you to tailor it to wherever your audience is, right? Some right. people may want a little uh, kick up of garlic. Or in the case, some people have onions, so you have more. I usually try to do it in equal parts um, because I just like that nice base flavor. And to your point, it is something that sort of gives a familiar flavor, something that is common to a New Orleans dish, that it's, it's familiar, especially for those who grow up here and those who tend to love the food. You talked about um, also another way to reduce whether it's heat or something. Think about creamy sauces. If yeah. you use anything that has cream in it, it's going to mute something that's very spicy. So that gives you a little bit of leeway as well to use uh, things that may be a little bit higher in spice. You can come back with um, something that's creamy. You asked about, in the case of, just say, the Cajun sausage. Of the Cajun and the Andouille sausage, obviously the Cajun is a little bit spicier. 
Right. Um, it is, in my opinion, and I'm not someone who likes a lot of spice, it has just enough spice. When you open the package, you can smell the flavor. You can tell that there's a little bit of heat or spice to it. Whereas andouille is typically, uh, it's, it's the cut, you know, the grind size um, of it, but it's also seasoned, but it doesn't have that heat. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention during boil season, you mentioned about family gatherings and boils. Even amid COVID-19, uh, crawfish sales have still been pretty good. And these sausages actually pair very well. So as I said, if you want something that's a little bit spicier in your boil, go with Cajun. If you want something that's probably more all family, go with the andouille. It goes, it pairs extremely well with our crab well flavors. Uh, Chef Claude, let's talk a little bit about the new product. When I think of sausage and I think of New Orleans cuisine and the brilliant flavor of Zatarans, I think of things that are in sort of that sort of stew and, and more of a luscious uh, combination as opposed to crisped up and, and grilled. Do these sausages also work brilliantly well on the grill? Can I get a crisp on them? Can I can I get them out on my grill or under some, you know, fire? Absolutely you can. They are phenomenal on the grill, whether it's kebabs or if you prefer just to cut up sausage and place it on your grill, it holds up very nicely. Um, even um, one of the things I like to do, Jennifer, is I like to cut them, coin them up, like, right? Slice yep. the sausage, fry it up in a skillet, and then I like to take a pretzel stick. Put use pretzel sticks, and then take some of our Creole mustard and use that as a dipping sauce for them. Phenomenal! It's a nice little appetizer for people. So he said pretzel stick. Up your alley. Well, I do I have a pretzels, I, Michael. You know, I do have a three-year-old, and uh, anytime I can be extra creative, it's a great snack. Sometimes <laughs> I go uh, crazy. I can show you, you no, know, this is the jambalaya oh, let me, that I prepared. Uh, let, me get, let me get you in on that. Hold on. There we go. If you oh, see yeah. the, Beautiful. the slices, and I just topped it with a little bit of green onion. Um, but you can take these same slices and just fry them up in your, your skillet. And what you do is once you're done, you set them out and you take the pretzel sticks. It could be nice, cool, fun, whether it's a game time, movie night, whatever it may be, something to help entertain your family. I know folks are struggling a little bit with new ideas, that type of thing during these times, but there's a wealth of things that you could do. Uh, jambalaya is an easy dish. Uh, and, and something I like to do, it's not on back of pack, but a lot of our, our rice sides like yellow rice or uh, the paella, we have wild rice, et cetera. If you have family members that are more protein or sausage lovers, you could always add that to a family of five. I have three kids, including an almost 16-year-old teenage boy. So I have to make sure that there's enough food available. And for me, I always like to add a little bit of protein, even if it's a rice side. And I may cook a couple boxes. We love rice in my house. And I'm from New Orleans, and we're from Louisiana. So that, that goes over very well for us. We love a lot of rice down here, as you know, Jennifer. I love the yellow rice product that you guys have, and I play with that a lot. And one of the things that I enjoy is is adding, just as I'm finishing preparing it, I add my vegetables uh, as a sort of um, as an accent. Yes, because uh, this time of years, we we we've got some beautiful. I do a little. Um, I'll, I'll take a stalk of asparagus and I'll cut it into you know quarter inch pieces. And I stir that in, and it's not all that bigger than, uh, let's say, uh, some some fresh peas 
or I take the green bean and I cut it into those quarter inch pieces. And you can take a nice green vegetable or even some carrot dice and create a dice sized uh, piece of any of your favorite vegetables and stir it in to make the rice more interesting, kind of in that almost Caribbean uh, peas and rice or the Italian style, the Risi e Bisi. You know, making rice more interesting yeah. goes a really long way. And then from that, you can even add a dressing, creating some kind of a uh, simple uh, simple flavor you can add to the top of the rice. And all of a sudden, gotcha. it's a rice ketchup. salad. Ketchup? No. <laughs> can you add a can, if you like ketchup. Can, can you add a can of rice and I mean, of, of carrots and peas right into the rice, right? I like pull the it out. better, but yes. Pull it out. And then look, maybe a little ketchup? No. no? If, if that's your choice, you can add ketchup. I don't know. I'm with you, Jennifer. <laughs> Sometimes I get too gourmet on her, Claude, and she doesn't function that way. I know. I, I see that. Yeah. What about Korean barbecue I'm sauce? Follow, I'm tracking you. I I'm following. Jennifer, Korean barbecue sauce. Hmm? Oh, hmm? No. How about that? Okay. Well, here's the thing. I don't want to cover up the sort of Zatarain goodness in it. That's true. That's true. Claude, what exactly do you do? I like that, Jennifer. Jennifer's good. She's not even getting paid to do that. Hey, Claude, what exactly do you do (laughs) with Zatarain? Yes. What do you do? What is is your job? What is your encompass? My job, part of my job is what I'm doing today as a brand ambassador, right? Promoting the products for the brand. But I am a scientist first and foremost. So I work on the products at Zatarain's product development. New products, current products that may need some work. Uh, We have a team of folks, but uh, I'm the principal scientist there, and I have to make sure that everything, whether we make a change, just say if there's a a change that's needed in the type of onions we're using, I am a person who sits on that team where I have to taste and make sure that we are still in line uh, with is of Zatarain's quality and standard. So why don't you tell us what you're working on now? We won't tell anyone. Make it a secret. I won't well, uh, write it. You know, I have 12 million readers a month in the Food and Beverage magazine, if you're familiar you know, with us. I, I think there's uh, there's something that I could say. For example, during these, we have some new breadings, like fry mixes. You know, fried chicken is popular in the South. Mm-hmm. There's one that, Jennifer, if you like a little bit of heat, it sounds like. We have one that's a hot and spicy by Zatarans, a chicken fry mix. We also have a Southern buttermilk one for, again, a milder palate. So those are some of our newer products um, that have been released. I'm not sure if you've tried our cilantro lime rice uh, side. I've had, I've had that. That's okay, delicious. yeah, it's a pretty good one. And what Jennifer alluded to is I like to add veggies. I, I've talked about the protein, but exactly what you said. I tried to make a complete meal out even a, even a side, as you said, to make it interesting. Um, even though my family and a lot of folks um, do may like rice, but it's always nice to make it interesting in. We do have some nice recipes at Zatarans.com. Um, another dish I like to do, why not use pasta? We have something that's like a pasta laya that you can do. You can make it with shrimp and either the Cajun or andouille or a combination of those two sausages. That one goes over really well in my household as well. But we have a, a, a whole host. If you look up our sausage, you would find recipes, recommended recipes for you to make things a little bit interesting. So those are also some the things I do, Michael, in my role where I'm working with um, our staff to come up with uh, ideas for recipes on back of pack. 
uh, new ways of utilizing the products? Could we think of different ways to prepare them? Could you prepare our rice in a rice cooker? I do it. Um, you know, if I if I have things to do, I can pop uh, the Zatarain's jambalaya in the, the rice cooker along with sausage. Just let it cook. One pot dish. We're done. So that is my dream come things. true. My you dream come it. true. I use my little hot pot. If that's what it's called. Is that what it's called, Jennifer? The little pot that I doodle. But I just got this new thing called um, a Brava. Have you heard of the Brava? Yes. B-R-A-V-A. And you literally put everything, it makes everything. And just like you push, it's all like electronically, it's crazy what they do, right? But all these dishes are coming out of it. We love it. But with the, back to the yellow rice with the cilantro lime. Sure. I make, I make a corn, elote, Jennifer, did I pronounce yeah. that correctly? Elote, elote from Tucson. Yes. And I make it, right? I get the, the uh, cheese, the white cheese. I take corn, I pan fry it, white yeah, cheese, yeah. tons of lime. And then I use um, I use green green onions on top, and I put it with that rice, and yeah. people lose their minds. The lime juice, the white Mexican cheese, and corn, and it's mind boggling. You, it sounds like you're making a street corn, uh, <laughs> yeah. like a Sonoran street corn kind of a side dish. Yeah, that that's what I'm making. A, whatever Sonoran, Sonoran, what? Sonoran. What? It's the what region of northern Mexico. It's delicious. It it's where Hermosillo is. It's where the sea is. You get beautiful seafood. You get the best beef in Mexico. It's fantastic. Yes. Well, maybe I should move there since I make my corn so good. Listen, you know what else? I, I mean, not that not that we're With trying my to Zatarain. I know, but I take the Zatarain's uh, yellow rice, and mm. I actually, chef, I actually um, fry in a little bit of oil the yes. rice grains, and I puff them up first. So it's almost like you were making like a like a mini kind of um, fried rice almost. It gives it a okay. nuttier flavor. It's really delicious. But you do it before you put the water in. Yeah, and then you and then you and then you try that. Right. Done oh, excuse me, Claude and I want to know how long have you been doing this, Jennifer? We're as long as they let me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something to be said about that. I'm no, gonna listen, to I got to tell you, I love the flavors because. Here's the other thing. When you're, when you're a cook and you cook all the time, you use your spices all the time. So you learn that fresh spices yes. matter. And if you don't use certain spices, but for once or twice a year when you do a certain recipe that's one of your kids or, or somebody in your family's birthday recipe, then you might not use them all the time and you don't realize that they start to lose some of their como se llama. Oh. They, they just, they're like listening to your favorite song. And this is how I describe it, Chef Claude. When you're talking about spices, certain, certain spices are like favorite songs. And if you, if you use old spices, it's still your favorite song. Cilantro, cumin, ginger, cinnamon, nutmeg, black pepper. But if it's a little bit old then it's like listening to your favorite song on a very low volume. It has to work a lot harder for you to enjoy it and even hear it. Whereas keeping really fresh spices is super important. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I talked about the Trinity earlier and I talked about a lot of our rice sides when in cooking rices in my dishes. Every one of them I add the fresh trinity to. 
it, it doesn't matter which one I'm cooking. One of my favorites and the favorite in the house, have, I don't know if you can buy it, our Caribbean rice. Um, I, I will saute the celery, onions, and bell peppers in uh, oil, just as you mentioned, but I don't put the rice in at that point. And then I like to add the andouille sausage and some fresh shrimp. So I'll saute that. And then I just cook it according to the pack. So with that Caribbean rice, there are pineapple pieces, as you mentioned, there's cumin, all these wonderful Caribbean flavors that come out in that rice. But I give it that nice undertone with that Trinity from New Orleans. And it is phenomenal. You know, so to your point, there's certain flavor notes that really drive the dish home for you and that you look for. That's one of them I like to use in all of my dishes, that combination of the three. And the Jennifer, other you know who uses that Caribbean, Jennifer, when he makes his jerk chicken? He uses his Adirans Caribbean. Grant, mm -hmm. Mojo, I mean, uh, Gramps Morgan. Oh, yeah. When, when Gramps, when Gramps uses his, right, when he yeah. makes his jerk chicken with his sauce, he uses Zatarain to the side. You know, Chef Claude, the other thing I was trying to get at was how important it is that if you're going to make a dish that needs um, your spices to be at their best quality, Zatarain's packaged blends all have fresh spices in them. So you're not making a dish that's really going to be built on the architecture of spices and the flavors that the spices bring uh, on on weak or out of date spices, they're built a necessity uh, on the the freshness of the spice. That the pepper and the the, the black pepper and the and the paprika they've all got to be fresh. Yes. Simply put, we want the highest quality ingredients, and that's what we're going to bring to you. And more importantly, I think to drive home our message, we want to give you everything that you need in that box. Um, you know, the palate outside of New Orleans or Louisiana can be very different. So we keep that in mind when we're developing. We want to give just enough. And when I talk to our consumers, too, that's something that they tend to tell us, well, Zatarain's has all that we need in the box. But as you know, Jennifer, with your history in New Orleans and, you know, your, your background with us, you know that we are people who like to do add-ons and ad-lib. We, we take something, sometimes locally, a lot of people use us as a base. Um, and again, to turn the heat up, a product like Jambalaya, we have a spicy version, we have the regular version, and there's a mild one. So I'm not sure if that's sold everywhere where folks have that opportunity to purchase each one, but you can sort of customize. And, and that's something that's a part of our heritage. I think as we have a lot of cooks here, and when people ask you about favorite restaurants, you know, in my time growing up, I was very fortunate where I had home cooked meals a lot. So uh, the, the, the biggest answer was, well, is it grandma's house? Is it my uncle, my aunt's house? Or is it at my house, right? Growing up in the house. So um, it's, it's such a an interesting, you know, dynamic that we have where we have to, we have to make this for everyone. But um, when you talk to, to consumers locally, they tend to add their own, whether it be our Creole seasoning or something or adding a little bit of cayenne pepper to it just to give it a little bit of uptick because of that, that desire to have something spicy. Well, Chef, we're going to reach out and see if we can't get some of those recipes and put them in the next issue of Food and Beverage Magazine for people and share them with the listeners in the, in the audience because it's a beautiful palette of flavor for summer. Thank you so much. Um, absolutely, we can do that. All right, buddy. Thank you, Claude, for taking the time with us. 
And um, we're glad we got your camera working because look at that smile, Jennifer. <laughs> thank you for having me. And so, thank no, you. you're you're welcome anytime, Claude. Anytime you want to pop on, you can always come on and surprise us with something spectacular. And 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 thanks for making that delicious dish for us. Thanks, you're Claude. Very welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Up next, Hi, all time favorite people. Wait, can't we talk about how nice he was? Oh, he's lovely. Okay, just making sure. Because for some reason, you didn't want to say that. I was just like, I like that guy. What a smile on that guy, huh? He's was he a model before he worked for Zatarain? Yeah, probably, right? He might have been like a nerdy scientist, you know, and all the girls like nerdy scientists. Well, he is a scientist. I know, that's what He's I'm a saying. scientist. That's right. What do they call that? Let's ask Barbara. Barbara knows everything. Can, every we, bring, can I, we bring her on? I've been waiting for her. On. He was here. There she She's is. Here. <laughs> I think a food scientist used to be called a home economist back when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. How are you, my friend? Well, it's a little warm here in L.A., but uh, doing as well as can be expected under some pretty extraordinary circumstances that we're all going through, I think. Yes. 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 And it was in the hopes that you would bring um, the incredible wisdom and uh, – food sense that you've developed over your career to help us keep everything in perspective because the one thing we've always relied on Barbara Fairchild for was this sense of where the future was. You were never one to shy away from what comes next and just held so tightly to where we've always been. You were really essentially responsible for taking us uh, through several reimaginations of what our food culture looks like. And like Julia Child herself, you are, you are always so curious about food and flavor and, and reminding us that great food and flavor come from every part of the world and not just the, uh, the fanciest places. And so we wanted to reach out to you during this time when it feels like we're on the cusp of everything changing again, you understand. Oh, definitely. I think uh, what's interesting is that uh, we're, we went from, we're going, coming out of being an extremely strong restaurant culture yeah. where people were not doing a lot of cooking at home, especially younger people. And now I think we have two things that are going to have to happen. One is the restaurant culture is going to have to be obviously entirely reimagined. And we're going to have to re try to figure out how we feel about it about going back in person versus maybe sticking with the takeout and the delivery at home. And I think a lot of people are going to stop and think about how they need to maybe improve their basic repertoire of the simpler things to make. I think Chef Claude really does, you know, everybody a service by presenting products through Zatarains that anybody can really make, even people who aren't used to cooking and have a, a successful dish. And I think it's going to be really a, a two-year period of re-education, at least a two-year period of re-education and reacclimation for a lot of a lot of people. One of the things that has really struck me, we know that we're going to miss our restaurants because we've been missing them for the last couple of months. Do we miss them, do you think, from the food standpoint, from the conviviality standpoint, both? What are you hearing, seeing, and, and, and um, divining 
as the really core components of what we missed the most over the last couple of months? What are you hearing and seeing? And well, I think I think the majority of it is that we just miss the community of it because food is community, and no matter what level uh, restaurant you're dining at, from you know the best taco truck to you know Spago or the French Laundry. Uh, there's a sense of community when you go into a restaurant or even sit out in front of a food truck that you're all experiencing something together that's pleasurable, that's fun. You're with people who you enjoy being with, usually, <laughs> uh, if it's not a super-duper business uh, occasion. But uh, I think uh, what's happening is that you won't have that full sense of community anymore because the restaurant won't be as populated by decree, by law. Won't, you won't have as many people surrounding you. <laughs> you probably won't stay as long as my is my intuition or is my feeling about it at the beginning. I mean, at the very, very beginning, everyone's going to have to decide when they're going to go out again. Yeah, do you think that we're going to pick up food? Do you think we're going to spend less time in the restaurant because I'm going to feel less secure in the restaurant? being around other people? What do you think the dynamics of well, that? I think part of it might be that at the beginning, once you, once you start venturing out. I think part of it may just be that it's, you know, fairly quiet and maybe not as buzzy as before. Certainly uh, restaurants that have, at least here in California, I can't speak to, or in LA, I can't speak to the rest of the country. Maybe I think New York is probably going to be the same. You know, we're not allowed to have, uh, we won't be probably allowed to have a bar area with seats. So all of that's going to go away. And if that was where people were waiting before, now they're going to probably be waiting out front or waiting in a parking lot or waiting on in the street or something like that at a distance uh, in the mask, technically. Um, so I think the whole, it gets to the point of, is it really worth it? in quotation marks, if I could have the same food at home at my table for six, where we don't have to sit six feet apart, and we don't have to wear masks, and we can have some nice wine that the restaurant might also supply, and we won't feel, um, we'll feel more part of something rather than just a social experiment. Um, I feel the same way about, you know, movie theaters and live theater and certainly getting on an airplane and things like that. But restaurant is, depending on the restaurant, it's going to be a very interesting uh, few initial months to see how many people really do go back. And, and if places decide maybe they'll be open for lunch, but not for dinner, or they'll be open for lunch, but you for dinner, you take out or get delivery. I mean, there's so many different co combinations that I hope ultimately will keep restaurants in business. I, 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 you know, there are terrible figures about how many restaurants won't make it. Um, and I want restaurants to stay in business as a place of gathering and a place of community. But I think they're going to have to really undergo, they're going to have to undergo a change and we're going to have to undergo a change and, and kind of push our own comfort level maybe at the beginning. You're a globalist and I've always <laughs> admired you for your global perspective. Your global travels take you to the fourth. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's looking very, I'm looking very dubious at the moment. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> um, 
uh, which is a challenge at my the global, moment. My global, yes, my globe trotting. I wonder about that sometimes. I really so, do. So you have friends in the food business in every time zone around the world. <laughs> I do. And, and I'm wondering, are you seeing anything happen in any of the countries and cultures that were two, three, four, six months ahead of us in the COVID cycle that have already had that little extra lead time to reimagine their food world and their restaurant world. It wouldn't have been the same to start with, so it probably won't be the same after. Have you seen anything that really sort of like perked you up and said, what a great idea? Well, the initial thing that I do know is that, uh, as you know, Paris is a favorite place of mine. And I do know that today, uh, uh, I believe it's either today or yesterday, the cafes were allowed to reopen the sidewalk portion of the cafes were allowed to reopen. And the pictures that I've seen, uh, supposedly the tables are supposed to be three feet apart, not five feet or six feet apart. Uh, and the pictures that I've seen so far, doesn't. I, I'm hoping that perhaps they're, you know, stock photos or something because nobody seems to be in a mask, either people waiting on you or people waiting. And uh, so that was kind of an interesting thing. I, I have to say there was a very interesting article probably now about three weeks ago in Eater National by one of their Hong Kong uh, reporters who uh, their restaurants had opened up uh, probably right then, three weeks to a month ago. And this reporter went by himself to one of his favorite restaurants in Hong Kong. I, I have to commend, the, he made a point of saying, I wanted to my first restaurant experience to be at one of my favorite places. So he went by himself. And the restaurant was half occupied. <clears throat> there was distancing between the tables. Uh, all the wait staff was in um, masks and gloves. And so was everybody in the kitchen, obviously. He wore a mask into the restaurant. They took his temperature. They made him sign a release form. Wow. Uh, with his email and text, uh, his email and phone number in case someone while he was there or within a few days of him being there tested positive so that they could contact him. Wow. And he ordered a lot of his favorite dishes and the meal was absolutely delicious. But my takeaway from it was, and I, I believe what he was trying to communicate was once again, I'm not sure it was worth it to, yeah. do, to get dressed up and, you know, take public transportation, which in a lot of areas you do, um, and go through all this just to dine at what was his favorite place. So I I think that was, that was very, I actually read it twice because I found it so interesting and I wanted to make sure I got all the information correctly. And I also wanted to make sure that I was understanding his own takeaway from it because that's kind of how I'm feeling. NPR did a marvelous story this weekend uh, looking at Asia and how certain restaurants are doing certain things to uh, bring the virtual restaurant into your home so you don't feel like you're dining alone. There are other restaurants that are uh, uh, talking you through the preparation of the food. Um, there are some interesting people who are recognizing our need for the connection that it's more than just DoorDash dropping a bag at the curb for you. Uh, that's only part of what we miss, and I, I do understand that. But one of the things that becomes really essential to all of us for the different forms of nutrition that we derive from 
the cuisine culture and the food culture that we live in wherever it is in the world is the connecting piece. And, and it's, and it's very difficult to recreate that sense of connection you get from being a regular, you know, a place that you've gone to your whole life, a place that you know intimately well. When you go to LA, I love going to Felipe's. It's just you, or Dupar's, places you just, you know what it's going to be like. And, you know, when you go to New Orleans, the places you go to and, and, and get the things that you get. I have to be honest, I did the same thing. There's a place in Tucson where I'm a regular, Gus Ballons. That was my first trip to a restaurant, and they'd done a very good job of distancing. They had used a plastic sheeting to create something that hung from the ceiling and literally allowed them to keep the number of booths for the most part. And and while it's very difficult to feel like it's the same, it's as close to the same as it can be under these difficult circumstances. Yeah, like being in the shower. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know. It, it, I feel awkward right now. It, it, it felt it felt similar enough because the attitude and the people were all very much welcoming, and the fried chicken was still the best fried sure. chicken in town. And sure. you know the things that you miss are not just the food for sure. Um, one of the things that I wanted to make sure we talked to you about is that the fundamentals of the restaurant business. When there's a mandate to close half of your seats off from utilization, can you talk about the dynamics and the economics of what it actually means to limit a restaurateur to the amount of seats and guests they can serve in a space and how that really might impact how few restaurants survive this? Well, I think from a, I'm, I'm not a restaurateur, nor do I, you know, play one on TV. Uh, but, um, and I certainly think Elizabeth Blau would be a great person to talk about. Speaking of Elizabeth would be a great person to talk about this, or obviously any restaurant owner, Janos Wilder would be excellent. Um, I, I think the, from the very basic uh, standpoint, you have to think about if you take away half the tables, but you still have, can fill those tables to make up the shortfall, how much do you have to sell as take up, take out and delivery, and can you do that on a consistent basis every night? So does that mean reduced hours? Does that mean uh, fewer staff? Uh, how do you make the numbers work? It's all about, you know, it's like any, it's like the magazine business, goodness knows, it's all about the numbers. And, you know, we see it from the standpoint of someone who goes to a restaurant, sits down and has a lovely meal and a lot of fun, the way people sit down and, you know, read a magazine and enjoy that. But those of us who've been in charge of things like that know that also, you know, the, the as I always say to journalism students, the bottom line is the bottom line and it's a business. And as much as we love places that you were talking about, like Dupar's and, and Felipe's, if those are your places, you know, I really wonder, I mean, Dupar's can pump out a lot of breakfast and lunch. I don't really think of it as a dinner place, but um, but again, you know, that place was bustling all the time. I mean, people waiting, the booths are close together, everybody's close packed in there. I mean, really any, and certainly any of the newer generation of restaurants in downtown areas and areas that were becoming, uh, you know, gentrified and things like that. I mean, the whole idea of it was small tables, small share plates. That's 
gonna that's going away. Um, you know, small, you know, really crammed in a lot of noise, a lot of music, a lot of talking. And, you know, I just don't, I, I don't know. And, and given the generation that frequents or frequented those places, uh, I don't know how they're going to respond to this being in, in a place that's now half empty. I mean, there are wonderful, wonderful, you know, newer restaurants and, and by newer, I mean, within the last even eight years, you know, in LA is certainly been having just a huge restaurant renaissance. And I really am concerned about, you know, even sitting uh, at a sushi bar. I mean, how's that going to work? Oh, yeah. You know, it used to be to, to have five or six feet between you and the next person going to be, you know, two people sitting there because or hot pot places aren't that big. Or I kind of like I kind of like the idea, though, Barbara, honestly. You know of what I mean? Core? Yeah, I went to a restaurant. And it was like nice. And there was no one around and we could. But then I was like, this is getting kind of this is. But then it was like going to a hospital and the whole thing. Yeah, no, then, I mean, you have to know that, you know, yeah. even if you're comfortable, and I don't think that I I would, depending on the restaurant, I think that I would certainly be willing to, you know, give it a whirl. It, again, like, as Jennifer said, some of my really favorite places, but um, I, I have to say that I don't know, you know, what is it going to feel like when I have That's to weird. Yeah, temperature taken and and come in and and I was just even thinking about like the valley parking I mean we're gonna <laughs> you there's no valley parking no, I don't think so no they'll be right right so and then I went to a restaurant the other day and the girl had her mask on but it was down to here so her nose was hanging over it yeah I and, and, and I felt weird like what are you, not are you right. like it's not it's right. one of those it's not but are you supposed to say something like it's, I it's all of a sudden oh my god I love this is what I love I do I, I was behind a guy in line at CVS who actually it's a long story but anyway uh and he had a mask on but it was dangling from his ear oh my god and I told him because he was up where the checkout was, where there's plexiglass, and a, and a very horrified-looking young man was the clerk who was wearing a mask. And he turned around to apologize for basically butting in front of me, and I said, "Put your mask on." Yeah, great. And, and the guy behind me goes, "You got that right." I mean, it was yeah, like, it's weird. Not, I don't... You know, having a dangling from your ear is does not count. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Jennifer, don't let your mask dangle from your ear. It's not a fashion statement. It's not an earring. But um, right. I think it's going to be a really, I think the first year will be very telling. Yeah. Uh, I think the first six months will be even more telling about who's going to make it and who doesn't. And to go back to your to go back to your question, Jennifer, I think a lot of places may just say, you know, we're going to do breakfast and lunch and we're not going to do dinner anymore. And, you know, or we're going to only do dinner and it's only dinner. Be, it'll be half full, but we're going to really recommit to take out and delivery and things that you can come in and grab out of a, a cooler, you know, here in L.A., you know, salads and sandwiches and things like that. I mean, not at the high end places like if you're going to go to Spago, you'll still go to Spago and the, the tables can be pretty spaced far apart anyway. But um, which brings, you know, a whole new thing that just popped into my head about somebody, you know, someplace like Spago at the very high end with fewer tables and very rich customers can just jack up their prices. Well, right. would, here's a question, oh, Barbara. No. <laughs> Barbara, here's a question. Would it be so bad at Mr. Chow's not to have people sitting on top of you? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, right? Yeah. 
I, I, I don't actually, I'm not a Mr. Chow's person when it comes to Chinese food, but uh, I know there are plenty of people. And again, you know, it's a place to be seen. Right on the you. other aspect of this, you know, will restaurants still be, you know, will the paparazzi still be out in front of Mr. Chow's every night? Craig's. What's Craig going to do? Space six feet apart, <laughs> wearing masks and gloves with their cameras. Absolutely. Yeah. We should, Jennifer, we got to call Craig for Craig's and go get him on the show next week. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to him because I think that would be a great, because he has all those celebrities coming in all yeah, the time. I don't, know, you know, I don't know if he's doing takeout or delivery. Um, well, he started I, I ice cream. Been closed or, or this whole time we're actually doing it. And then what about this old, old, we're going to go back from Craig, go to Dantana's where he was at originally. And right. And what, what, what are they Frank's, doing? Like Musso and Frank's. I mean, these are the really historic restaurants of Los Angeles, not some of our newer places, but we have fabulous newer places downtown like Bavel and Bestia and, and Rosso Blue and places like that that are in big uh, Oficina Brera that are in big sort of warehouse type right. things. Um, and I think they technically they have the space, but the how they were obviously making their profit was filling the place. And several of them have large outdoor areas, so that helps a lot. I, I hate to raise this, uh, but I have to ask how's Nancy Silverton doing? One of our favorite people had uh, the double impact of not only the shutdowns with the COVID, but then the impact of uh, some vandalism. And it just reminds us how, as as the first line of our culture, many of our restaurateurs around the country, we lost a chef in Louisiana and uh, in Louisville. Uh, the, the the people that are food people are always there on a different front line, and in and in a, a way, they're the ones that get impacted pretty severely, as has been the case with the restaurant world, and and certainly the case with Nancy. How is she doing? What's the what's the What's well, she has out of quarantine, as you may know, and she's, as far as that is concerned, she's better. Uh, her store, uh, she's Spaka, along, uh, restaurant along Melrose, was pretty much, uh, all of her restaurants had very big windows, so they got smashed, from what I understand. Uh, but, you know, I think the, the, the thing here is that Nancy understands where that's coming from. And uh, as most of the the tragedy is the smaller businesses, the larger businesses and the larger places or the more, you know, the higher end places, they all have insurance. So she, I'm sure, will rebuild and she will come out of this. I hope but so. I think knowing her, she understands where this is coming from. Um, and I think she's obviously sympathetic but unfortunately she was hit yeah hey let's talk uh, you and i've had this conversation before in a different time many years ago and it almost feels like we need to have it again when we say we don't eat like that anymore it's the we don't eat like that <laughs> oh we do now though <laughs> <laughs> we're totally into potatoes and cheese and snack food and what are you talking about <laughs> i know i know and we are eating. We've gone back. <laughs> Precious has flown out the window. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I obviously we're we're trying to adhere to some sort of normalcy around here, but you know, I mean, let's put it this way: martinis are not just for Friday night anymore. 
<laughs> but I've gained my COVID-19. Oh, God. Jennifer. That was what? a stupid. Jennifer no, just said she she gained her COVID nineteen. Oh, like yes, I've heard, heard that. Jennifer, I think it was actually the COVID fifteen, but yeah. I, I wish it weren't true. But it's it's yeah. you know, it, it, it's tough. Barbara, one of the things that's important about the books you um uh, created that I give regularly as gifts because they are so fantastic. Not only the Bon Appetit cookbook, but the uh, Fast Fr and Easy Fresh. Uh, I give that to people all the time, and they're always surprised at how wonderful and frequently uh, how wonderful it is, and how frequently they use it. Um, and in a time like this, uh, people are turning to cookbooks. Are you getting lots of um, feedback from people rediscovering your books and your recipes? Well, not I'm not me personally. I mean, I think what's what I am so happy about is the books that we did do, uh, especially as you say, Fast, Easy, Fresh. I think it was really a book uh, ahead of its time in a lot of ways. It came out in 2008 and it was, you know, organized quite differently at the time than any other cookbooks had at the, at the time into not, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but the ingredients, uh, you know, salmon, pasta, um, potatoes, rice, you know what the, the uh, what the busy weeknight cook would have on hand, and what they could do with it. You know, chicken, fish, shellfish, that kind of thing. So, and it's still a book that I like to give too, especially to beginning cooks, because I first of all, obviously, it's gigantic, and I don't think you really do need another book. And I think you know, as a, as a testimony to our team, um, the recipes are just as, as interesting and fresh and sophisticated today, but again, easy to make, uh, our hallmark, um, uh, as they were back then. And so, you know, it uses a lot of packaged ingredients where what I call now assembly cooking, which is what we're doing a lot of, everybody's doing a lot of, you know? So, um, I think that that book really stands the test of time. I think they all do. I mean, the, the, the one, the copper colored one, the, the original Bon Appetit cookbook, that was our 50th anniversary edition in 2006. So that I call kind of our greatest hits. If you were a fan of the magazine back back in the day, um, you might want to take a look at that or buy, try, take a look at that one because it has, a, you know, again, a lot of, you know, the, my Thanksgiving turkey is there and I still make it from 1994. Um, but, uh, um, and then the, I, I understand Michael is a fan of the desserts book. Again, you know, so what they about all food books is that you can be absolutely certain that every single recipe in there was tested. Again, not necessarily the case with the books that you buy then and now. And that it was really, obviously, they were all um, curated, which is the word we use today, rather than culled, they were all curated from a very, very large uh, base of recipes. But I have to say, one word that's missing from the Green Book, Michael, the Fast Easy Fresh book, is irresistible. I find that more of the recipes in that book are irresistible than almost any other book I've ever encountered. But the other point that I really want to emphasize is because of how it's organized, it is the ultimate pandemic quarantine book because you can say okay i've got a, a jar of capers in my fridge i've got some some mozzarella cheese and i've i've got some farro what can i make well i've right. got 
quinoa? What can I make? I, I've got a limited amount of fresh vegetables. What can I make? And not only do you give very specific recipes for those ingredients, they're such good recipes that oftentimes if you don't have this, you can use that. And right. so technique involved in it that really makes it ultra valuable and friendly for usage, um, no matter what level cook you are. And and for that, I just think it's really worth mentioning and and rediscovering if you don't know it already. Well, I, I, I know that you're a fan of the book and I don't know if you even realize it, but one of the ideas of the book was one recipe per page. Nothing was longer than a page long. Yeah. Um, I would like to um, imagine that where we go next, food-wise and cuisine culture-wise, um, has a certain measure of inevitability to it. Uh, and I see us wanting favorite things and wanting, yes, easy, yes, fresh. But I think that more than anything else, there's a there's a rediscovery or a, a recalibration of the value of how much something means to us. You mentioned that martinis aren't for Friday nights alone anymore. I think there's a component, the emotional component of of the pleasure and satisfaction we derive from whatever it is we're having that we're just going to spend more time being appreciative of. Can can you speak to that a little bit? Are you seeing that as well in the things that you're? Well, that's the, that's the point of going out to restaurants is to show them how much you appreciate them, that they're still there and they're still trying to, yeah. they're there to nourish and entertain you and uh, maybe teach you something. So I think that's, that's part of what the value of going back to restaurants is. Again, the only issue here is whether it's financially viable for the restaurant. Even if you, if you go every night, you know, if, if not a lot of people are in that dining room with you, even half full, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's bad, but it's, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. So I think, you know, restaurants as the meeting place will always be something that we, we have and, and we will hold in our hearts. But as far as what the future brings and what kinds of things will be successful, I I mean, I know what kinds of things would be successful here in LA. I don't think that that much is going to change. We're, you know, very dedicated to all kinds of ethnic food and, and um, as well as, you know, the high end. Uh, but sometimes the high end looks is in a place that doesn't look like a high end place or, or, the, or the, you know, the stereotype of a high end place anyway. But I think, you know, Maybe what it will be is just a, a new renewed appreciation, which I think the last three months have done anyway, of just everybody just being together. Even if it sometimes feels like you're going to go crazy. Uh, it's better to be at home together than um, all alone, over the place. Or alo alone going crazy? Yeah, well, or, or, you know, being somewhere where you don't feel comfortable. Jennifer makes me not feel comfortable every day, Barbara. Every <laughs> day she, ma you she makes me not feel comfortable. You know how she gets with all her words, her words. There you go. There you go. Well, there are different parts. There are different definitions of uncomfortable. Let's put it that way. So how would a place like Crossroads do? How how will they do it? Because that's, 
well, so specialized. I, it, I mean, part of it is, <clears throat> I think Crossroads, you know, it's a vegan restaurant, high end. It skews, in my opinion, it skews pretty young overall and very, um, uh, you know, the people who go there truly are, are dedicated vegans, I think, as, as well as people who are just interested in having a, a, a fine meal of that caliber, caliber as a vegan meal. Um, but again, uh, if the reason that you went there all the time was to go with like eight of your pals and, uh, you know, drink up a storm and have a great time and share all these platters and all that, well, that's not going to happen anymore. In fact, right. one thing to reference that Hong Kong story again uh, was that the restaurants there, you, you're no, par parties no larger than four. Yeah. So, and that might end up being what we, adopt here so uh again i was at a restaurant they said they said we could have six people that was it no larger than six if we had more they'd have to have the other people at an, even if it was seven at another table six feet away right right yeah. or so you could divide up as you know three right. or four but you can't you know cross i mean i guess you could get up and i mean you're not you're not no, encouraged to get up and socialize. You're not encouraged to get up and socialize. And you're certainly not going to be encouraged to get up and share food. That's going to no. be. That is totally out the window. I don't think anybody wants to do that. So so are you going to finish that as a thing of the past? The shared plates? No. Dining with your loved ones. Are you going to finish that? Can I have that? You're going to finish that? You're going to eat the crust on your pizza? Oh, that. Well, if it's your family, know. why not? Um, Barbara, have you been cooking a lot yourself? I've, we've been, I've been assembling a lot. I've, I haven't been cooking for, I have certainly not climbed on the sourdough bread bandwagon because I would eat the entire loaf. Oh my God. How did she know about the so sourdough bread? I'm not touching the sourdough bandwagon at all. Okay. Uh, well, you know, Elizabeth is so knee deep in the sourdough bread yeah, thing right now. And good on her. But I, mean, I she I even said, I would just eat the whole thing. That she's one making day. sourdough bread, coffee cake, and sure. pretzels and Pancakes bagels. The whole deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, it's great. You know, I just, well, she's got, you know, a child to feed and all that. So she has a place, you know, to get, right. to get rid of it. But, um, uh, you know, my significant other doesn't really eat a lot of carbs for dietary reasons, not for, uh, for, for physical, for actual physical reasons. So, I mean, to have bread around here and me, just not a good, it's not a good, not a, it's a, it's a marriage made in heaven, which is not good. <laughs> you know, um, Barbara, we, we had a, another guest on today. We had some technical problems, but this is from a company called deliver lean. And, and it's a really interesting concept because it kind of, um, they're these marvelous uh, vacuum sealed meals. They've got a whole new technology about how they vacuum seal. It's fully cooked Here, show it, Jen. in the microwave. I'm going to show it again. Oh, wow. That's so one. Nice. I'm going to show you another one. Um, this is the chimichurri steak tips. Oh, wow. And, um, it's really interesting because this is a company that has teamed up with um, health insurance companies and doctors are now in one division of this company prescribing the kinds of foods they want their patients to eat. So if you had somebody that had a dietary restriction or you're on a 
diabetic diet or heart healthy diet or a keto diet or paleo. You could order these meals and, and they're really marvelously well done. And what I thought was really fascinating is this is yet another way if you had to go towards that ghost restaurant concept where you were thinking about how to take your philosophy of flavor and your idea of really creating this food in, in bright, nutritious ways of making it possible to be ordered and delivered and controlled and, and, and sent out and things like that. To me, that's a really interesting look at what I'll call the crystal ball. What does your crystal ball see? Well, I think we're going back to that. I think another interesting um, point about that might be that those are the kinds of things you would serve to people coming over to your home too. So that's a new way for you to entertain, again, without having to go out, quote unquote, out to a restaurant to have a restaurant quality meal, whatever that means, or a restaurant looking meal. When you ask me what kind of things I'm doing here, I'm making a lot of salads and turkey burgers and, and you know, things, grilled chicken and things like that, use the grill and all that shrimp. Uh, but, you know, those kinds of things that look very glamorous, like that salmon looked very glamorous. Well, uh, and it, you know, those and it, kinds of things, I mean, maybe what I see is that people will be doing more cooking at home or being at home, whether they're cooking it themselves or getting something like that that's sort of ready to cook. Yeah, this or, is a teriyaki place. You know, getting some, something from a restaurant that has – uh, reheating instructions. Um, you know, Curtis Stone, quite a well-known chef, has two restaurants here in LA, and his restaurant Gwen has been open this entire time. Oh wow! Meals to go, and family meals to go, and and individual things to go, and things that come with reheating instructions. It's really, he has done an outstanding job. And as we've rolled into more and more weeks. Um, you know, things from the butcher shop are now delivered. She can be delivered to your house. So you cook, you know, the New York strip steak that he has there. And, and um, you know, the wines are all available now. And they have cocktails that they'll send, send to you. So, uh, and all of it's available for delivery for slight charge or pickup, obviously, uh, if you want to swing by. So, um, you know, I could, that kind of thing would be amazing to have, you know, Curtis Stone food without having to try to figure out how to get a, a reservation for one thing. <laughs> Restaurants that's going to only be, you know, have half of it available, um, you know, for some somebody who's, you know, really popular like that. It's going to be interesting. I even attended a, you know, talk about rethinking everything. I attended a charity dinner, attended in quotation marks, a charity dinner this past Saturday where, um, it was on behalf of the Chrysalis Foundation here in Los Angeles, which helps get people off the streets. And we had a complete meal with two cocktails and two half bottles of wine from Gwen with Curtis Stone. And at 6.30, we had a Zoom, um, a Zoom uh, number that we were supposed to log on to. And we all attended this dinner and Curtis gave a demo. And everything was delivered to our house around three o'clock. And I, it was very well thought out because most of it did not need any kind of attention other than to put it on a plate. The only thing that needed attending were the lamb shanks, which was, was the main course that just needed reheating. Yeah. And I think anybody can turn on an oven and do that. Uh, and he had dessert, you know, wonderful dessert. So it was really, it was an amazing way to do it. 
Um, did it feel the same? Of course not. Uh, you know, it was, but it worked. And so and I, and someone, I, who does, and someone who does a lot of work with um, charities and, and helping to put on events, uh, it was kind of an interesting way of, of seeing how it can be done as we move forward because there are not going to be any walk around tastings anytime soon. And I bet your feet there didn't be any big dinners in, in, in big halls or big, you know, big venues. And I bet your feet didn't hurt at the end of the night. No. And, you know, I only had to be nicely dressed from the waist up. It was yoga pants and tennis shoes and a really nice top. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, what's really interesting is you're talking about that. Uh, the blessing in disguise for somebody like Curtis Stone would be that his restaurant had limitations before, that he only had so many seats. And by forcing you to reimagine what it would be to take out being able to expand in the spaces that he had in the volumes that were possible, um, I can see on some level how how this really allowed certain people to break out of the constraints of the spaces they were in to maximize their moment and the success that they were enjoying. And their well, especially a lot of them uh, who actually then opened up their pantries too. I mean. Yeah. For flower, and again, Curtis Stone did this beautifully for flower and farro and pasta and eggs. I mean, you could buy fruits and vegetables from him, and uh, and also one of the advantages of Gwen, his his restaurant on Sunset Boulevard, is that it had a butcher shop. So he was already selling. You could already go in there any time of day and buy a steak or buy brisket or buy you know whatever he had on offer. Uh, even Kobe beef, if you were so inclined. Uh, but uh, now he's, you know, he's got, it's almost like a, a parallel business to the restaurant now, because I can see this going on. I get a, because I actually did it before I, I ordered from it for a few times, uh, even before the, before the charity dinner. And um, I can see this, you know, you it's super easy. You just go onto his website. You click, click, click. You you know, put your credit card in, and boom, somebody comes to the door. It's fantastic. You know, I, I can imagine in a city like Los Angeles, where services and the service industries are really reflective of the changing culture they serve. I can imagine private chefs becoming a whole different organism and business model in this world. Well, also caterers. I mean, to do smaller, I mean, much smaller groups to do parties of, you know, to go back to Michael's point, not having, you know, if you can only have four or six people, but you want to have 12 people over you for 12 people, you can have them to your house and you can have somebody come yeah. in and you can, you know, quote unquote, go to the restaurant you were going to go to, but it's at your house. But if I have 1,200 guests coming to a charity event and as the caterer now, I know I need to create 1,200 brown bags that are going to get delivered to all these homes. I got to tell you, that feels kind of manageable. And there are so many nightmares about off-premise food service that, that, I mean, there are silver linings is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, there's a way to, there's definitely, a, a, I mean, to, this is off on a tangent, the charity thing is just that I'm kind of involved with, with some. Uh you know, there are other ways to do that too, that are actually could be super interesting and very, in, in a, you know, to be perfectly 
basic about it, pretty lucrative. So um, okay. and we one, not having one person do 1,200 meals, yeah. but yeah. have yeah. them all over the city with different yeah. refs. Um, we have an organization in Tucson, Arizona called the Gastronomic Union of Tucson. And in the slower summer months that are out of season, when restaurants are traditionally slower, the chefs from everywhere in town have created this uh, group, the Gastronomic Union of Tucson. And they get to do, to do these three meals throughout the summer months. And they're the chance for the chefs to like burst loose with their creativity. And everybody eats at Janos Wilder's Carriage House uh, event facility, usually about 100 people, maybe a, a little bit more. And the chefs really put on a marvelous show. It's always sold out. It's always wonderful. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm beginning to imagine that the creativity that would go into the themes and the dishes and the recreations will now go into the execution and the deliverables and the operation. Is that a sit-down event? Is that a sit-down event or a walk-around? Yeah, well, it was a sit-down event. And, and literally, you'd have 40, 50 chefs come together with a group of six, seven chefs each taking a course or mm -hmm. collaborating mm -hmm. on different courses in the cocktails. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful event. And everyone was lamenting that they might not be able to do it this year, partially because many restaurants might not have opened back up. Right. That's the might be they can't afford it, But how can we afford not to if there's a way we can do it in this delivered and then shared on Zoom kind of way? Or have, yes have somebody hosted at their home for a smaller group. Yep. 10, 10 homes around town with 10 people each. Yeah. And a different chef at each house. Okay. There's my idea. You can okay. tell. What? Uh, now, Michael, you're in Las Vegas, right? I am. I'm right here in the heart of heat. And what's going on with uh, everything there? Are they opening the casinos this week or something? I Tomorrow, I think it's tomorrow or tomorrow morning. I think they open the casinos. Oh, tonight, tonight at 12 o'clock. Okay. So some are opening at midnight and then some started tomorrow. But I believe it's really the casino floor is not a lot of, I talked to actually our friend Elizabeth. So a lot of those restaurants are not opening inside the casinos yet. Right. Um, they want to see what the traffic flow is, what the guests, what the guests are coming in. Some of the bigger ones like stations casinos here, they're only opening two of their locations. They're opening Green Valley Ranch and they're opening Red Rock, but. Which are suburban technically. Yeah, which are completely yeah. suburban. Right. The restaurants have been open that, that are on the outside of the casino because you can have access. Ah. The restaurants in the casino prior to this, you weren't you had to have a bathroom, restrooms without going into the casino floor. Ah, okay. So, so they the really they really were, the restaurants that were open that had street access or parking lot access or whatever you want. Right. Were they open for sit down dining or for just takeout and, and they were open for takeout. And then since the loosen up of phase one, now, you know, now they're open, you can come in and sit down. Um, but places like the palms who just put all of that fantastic artwork in there and all those great restaurants, they're not oh, open right. for like two years. You yeah. know, Bobby, Bobby has a restaurant there and Michael Simon has a restaurant there and uh, Vetri. Mark has a restaurant for, there. Will they open up now for half capacity or? No, they're open? not. They're down. They're down. Not they're open. planning and they're planning it for two years. Wow. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I blue skied that when I started talking today, but yeah. two years was kind of what I had in my, what I kind of have in my head, I guess. 
Um, what about, I've obviously, they're not going to ever be any buffets or anything again. I don't know how they're going to do that. They're talking about having a server at each station so they could turn around and then serve you. I think that may be mm. their solution. Like a cafeteria, but with a real person standing there. Instead of going down the line with a tray, there's a person that'll be there serving you. Um, I heard that. Some are closed still. Places like Sweet Tomatoes and those, those salad places are all shut down forever. Yeah. Literally forever. Right. My kids love those places. It was yeah. great. You took them. It was like a it was like a jungle gym salad place. They could just run around like maniacs, and then they would eat all their salad and ice cream. And they're closed forever. What about so the gonna, fantastic uh, Chinatown area, of Spring Mountain Road? What's going on I'm, here? So I'm seeing a lot of that. A lot like um, Brian Howard, if you know Brian, who worked with Carrie and Elizabeth uh -huh. a long time ago. Brian has Sparrow and Wolf, and they're open, I believe now. And I saw like uh, who was in there. Gino Bernardo, if you know Gino from the old, um, no, he was from the Palms at one point. Oh, uh, I forgot where he. They was. Uh, it might have been a not Bardo, one of the one of the Hakkasan Group restaurants, I believe. But Todd English, Sam DeMarco, so so the, so the chefs are coming in and they're eating there and they're having a great time. So um, those places are open. They're open, yeah. probably limited capacity, but they're trying to show how much fun everyone's having. I mean, I I mean Todd was there. You know, with his stunning with his hairline, with his stunning hairline and his yeah. eyes and his mask, and posing with the guys. You know, he had his mask on. He was the only one with the mask on, but they looked like they were having a great time. So the the chefs are not required to wear masks or gloves. I think for I think they are. Is that Jennifer? Aren't they for cooking? They obviously have to be in the. Or back. the what about the servers? Servers, yes, yes, Nevada. The servers in Nevada and in Arizona too. I would imagine, yeah. And, and what's really challenging, um, once you start seeing these cute little inventions of the mask with, this, with the grommet so you can put a straw through it, it defeats the purpose. I don't want anything getting in. I don't want anything getting out. If I can't find a way to, like, drink my drink some other... I mean, that's that's certainly one well, of my Well, my understanding is that we're allowed to remove our masks to eat and drink, but mm -hmm. that the servers, you know, uh, the servers are not. I mean, uh, uh, the servers have to wear them correctly, as you said, Michael, not with them, you know, off the nose. Um, and one of the other things, we've got uh, one of our good friends, Tracy Niporent uh, from New York City's NYC and Company and Myriad Restaurant Group and New York Restaurant Week is coming in. He's with us on Friday. And in, oh. and in the uh, conversation that I had with him in uh, catching up to, to figure out uh, what, you know, what we were going to talk about, one of the things I asked him about uh, was because he too, like Nancy, has survived the COVID personally. So we're thrilled that, that he's doing well. And one of the things we were talking about, he was saying, Jennifer, you know, I, I can imagine that the old horn and hard art automats might be making a bit of a comeback, that there would be this place you could go and everything would happen behind the wall and, and the food would pass to you through some mechanism of some sort. That's kind of what Michael was talking about for the buffet idea. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, maybe the buffet becomes a reimagination of the horn and hard art automat. With larger windows. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, Barbara, you've been to Japan. You, you, I mean, the, the vending that goes on in other parts of the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's astonishing what is possible. We just don't have it here. We just but don't have it here. Really well. <laughs> 
Yes. I just saw a beef vending machine, though, from a butcher. It was a butcher vending machine. I think that it's in New York. That makes total sense. It makes total sense. Although, I don't, you know, going to a butcher shop isn't like going to a restaurant, I think. You still go to a butcher shop with no problem, as long as you have a mask. And they and they yeah. let in only a minimum number of customers, like what you have to do to go to the market now. So, Barbara, I'm going to give you the last word with this sort of unfair hypothetical question that I'm <laughs> <Uh-oh>. famous <laughs> for. Of the things you think you're going to miss moving forward, and the one thing you're going to be most excited to re-experience well, on what I'll call the other end of this, what are those things? They don't have to be food-related, I hope. They, they could be anything. Uh, I think I'm going to miss traveling as much as I did, because yeah. I think getting on a plane is going to be a real just the whole experience of the airport. And I think that's going to be very taxing. Let's put it that way. And I think the thing I'm most hopeful that I can get to go back to is a Broadway show. Oh yeah. Because there's nothing like the energy of live music and performance. I mean, as a matter of fact, we have tickets to a show for November, but I don't think it's going to happen. So anyway, you look absolutely marvelous. You look wonderful. I'm so happy to see your face and hear my your quarantine, voice. my white quarantine complexion here. <laughs> All of us. But it plays well on camera. There you go. Good. Good to know. <laughs> and, pleasure uh, talking to you both. Thank you. For thank you, Barbara. It's nice seeing you. Take care. Do you want to tell anybody? Uh, oh, oh, you want to go back? No, I'm here. No, I was going to ask her, do you have any projects that are coming up or other appearances you wanted to plug before? No, I don't. My appearance is in my backyard with my new dining table and chairs that just got delivered yesterday. And uh, (laughs) that's about it. Well, I don't even have any trips planned because I just don't know. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't know anything about anything. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Well, uh, I'm going to send you loads of love uh, and virtual hugs and all my gratitude for the inspiration that you continue to bring into my life literally on a weekly basis. Oh, well, thank you. That's very sweet. And please say hello to all my friends in Tucson. We will. And Michael, all my friends in Las Vegas. They're, those are places I could drive to. So I, you know, yes. I, 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 love- I, those, those I could see coming back to. When, when you feel ready, we can always go to Honey Salt. I think we can get a tape. <laughs> there you go. I could see Elizabeth. That'd be great. Yeah. It's fun to see Elizabeth. Him, yeah, and now she's cool. like Betty Crocker Elizabeth. It's a yeah, whole new Elizabeth. It's great. <laughs> no, not to bring any sourdough bread. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think she's bringing it everywhere. She's already <laughs> said, good. come <laughs> over and get a coffee cake. Like a whole cake. <laughs> That's all. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Isn't she fabulous? B- fabulous. Classy. She made me nervous. She's too. She's so classy. She's brilliant. It made me nervous. What can I tell you? I get a little nervous with classy. You were, classy you were, ladies. You were a little. You were a little fanboy on a hundred percent. Barbara Fairchild. A hundred percent. I know, right? I mean, a hundred percent. Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna work on uh, getting Scott Harris, who's the founder of this company, back on with us. Um, he was scheduled earlier in the week, and with all the drama and trauma going on in the country uh, and the social media blackouts we just had to, and, and we were blacked out and, and everything is, uh, we're 
squeezing everybody back in. So we'll get him back on. Yeah, I'm not worried about him. He said he could come on tomorrow. We have such an amazing rest of the week, though. We do. Tracy Newport is coming on with us from NYC and Company Restaurant Committee. I mean, we take you. That's Drew's brother. How does that work? How does that work? He's Drew's brother. Right. Drew, very famous. Very famous. And together they run the Myriad Restaurant Group with uh, some of the finest dining in the world. Is that, um, aren't they partners with uh, Nobu and those guys, or that's something different? Nobu, Nobu Next Door, um, Tribeca Grill. And they, don't they have that famous guy that's their partner, too? What's his name? De Niro. Bobby, Bobby yeah. De Niro. Yes, but but I'll tell you, and and with their high-end restaurants, but the most exciting thing I think that they do is they do the food operations at City Field where the New York Mets play, and the restaurant was due to be renamed the Metropolitan Grill this year because of the New York Metropolitans. That's the name of the Mets, Mm -hmm. and he's a lifelong Mets fan, so we're going to hear all about the new, what's going to happen with sports and fine dining (coughs) at different venues. Mm-hmm. and when we might be getting a chance to go back. And, you know, wh- when Chef was talking about the Zatarain sausage today, mm-hmm, wouldn't mm-hmm. you love to have a Zatarain sausage instead of like an ordinary brat worst? Oh, my God. I, I, I didn't right? know they had sausages made by Zatarain. Did you? That's what today was all about. Didn't you see that? I mean, obviously, you now know, but you, you learn, but. You mean that was an exclusive launch of the Zatarain sausage on Food and Beverage Magazine Live? They're they're out in the world. Can I say it? Can I say it like that on Food and Beverage Magazine uh, Live? I think other people know about this. Oh, I don't know if we're actually scooping anybody on the news. But well, I'm but a scooper. But here's the thing: I want people that are hearing about it for the first time from us to know that we think the world of this company and their flavors and their products. Should we and, make them a sponsor? Should we go for them as a sponsor? What do you think? Set the team, set the sales dogs on them. Dogs, so, boom, mush. You need, you need to try, you need to try the Zatarain's sausages. A hundred percent. Delicious. You got to Because I do. I really do use the yellow rice with cilantro and lime, and it's insanity. You it's should try good. making it as fried rice. It's out, it's out of control. I'm going to actually have him um, send me some. I don't want to have to cook. I'm tired. Is that rude? I'm sure no. Claude, we'll have him on again. We'll do anything we need. Just send it up, people. Listen, this is the whole point is if you're stuck and you're at home and you want to you want to take what you have, if you can start with things that are already dialed in and mm-hmm. ready to go in all the right balance and all the right measure with nice, fresh spices, I mean, there's a reason why I always, when I was, when I used to own the spice store, I would talk to people and say, you know, when you when you turn your clocks forward and back for daylight savings and you change out at that same time the Arm & Hammer baking soda in your fridge and your freezer. Oh, I never heard of that. Well, yeah, and buy fresh spices. Spices should not last any more than six months. What? I never heard of any of this. This is all wives' tales. Well, no, it's not a wives' tale because all of the flavor that comes from most spices comes from the essential oils. So you're saying buy the the kits because sometimes spices come in kits, right? Or do you buy individual spices and throw your old kit away and bring your new one in? That's what people should create. Refresh your spice cabinet. Every 
if you're like me, you're going through your peppercorns, you're going through the smoked paprika, you're going through some of those basic elements. Two things I always recommend to people, buy whole spices, and they last a little bit longer. And then when you're, when you're forced kind of to buy those powders or, or uh, blended spices. Oh, I love onion powder. Right? I do. Garlic powder's wacky to me. It's like a talky thing. It, 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 it pops everywhere. Taste, yeah, but it tastes like its own thing. But when you're using spices, when they sit on the shelf for six months, it's it's really good to just refresh it. Well, I wish I had a graphic for that because that's a tip for the day. Well, it's a good tip. It's a that's tip for why the when I, That's why when you want to make something like, I don't live in New Orleans, so I don't cook New Orleans food all the time. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. I want to make New Orleans food and it's going to require me to have some ingredients like my etouffee or something is going to require me to have a seasoning I might not normally use. Uh, I prefer to turn to Zatarain's for all the most fresh spices. Fantastic. You're guaranteed. It's not like you know, eight of the spices are good, but like two have been on your shelf since, you know, you moved mm-hmm. to the house you're in. So they're mm-hmm. like six, seven, eight years old and they've lost their mojo. What about garlic in a jar? Garlic in the jar. How long is that supposed I, to stay? I'm not a big fan of that, honestly. But if you buy it, how long can you use it for? If is it's two, three well, years too long? Two or three years too long? Yeah. Just a question. Not I don't the, asking, asking for a friend, two or three years too long. Asking. Way. Way too long. Okay. Most people don't like the way their fingers smell after they do the garlic, so that's why we'll resort to that, or they don't get the fine enough dice. The best way to deal with garlic is to keep whole cloves in your your pantry, peel the skin off, and use your microplane and grate the garlic on the microplane so that it's in tiny little bits. It's almost like a paste by the time it comes through. You never have to chop garlic again. You never have to put it in one of those funny little presses. Do you ever roast your garlic? I like to roast my garlic every once in a while. It's very delicious. It's very delicious, but it's sweet. It's a little, I like that. I like sweet. It's because you're a sweetie pie. I am a sweetie pie. And on that note, shall we say adieu? Adieu, Andalou. Anything <laughs> you have to say, say goodbye. Andalou. When, when you get home tonight, if you're not already home, hug your kids. Hug your kids and count your blessings. Mm-hmm.